Welcome to Local Bites, the podcast of local futures, dedicated to the revitalization of cultural and biological diversity and the strengthening of local communities and economies worldwide. In this show, we'll be featuring critical voices and inspiring examples from the global movement for localization. I am Anya Limbeck. Today, we'll be hearing about the rapidly growing Ecovillage movement. I'll be speaking to Kosha Schubert, the head of the global Ecovillage network, Jen. We will hear of a host of inspiring initiatives of people coming together to create healthy communities centered around meaningful and supportive relationships to one another and to nature. This is happening at a time when the globalized and corporatized economy is fragmenting societies, pulling apart communities, separating us from one another. By reclaiming and rebuilding communities, like an increasing number of people are seeking to do, we have a far better chance of thriving and of creating systemic change for the benefit of all. So welcome, Kosha. I'm glad that you could make it. Uh, the eco-village concept is not new. Eco-villages have been around uh, for a long time. You live at Finhorn in Scotland, which has been going for some 50 years. In my native Denmark, some eco-villages have brought up several generations of people already. But until recently, at least in Europe, eco-villages were few and far between and mostly associated with hippie culture. But this has changed. How would you define eco-villages today? Yeah, thank you, Anya. Great to be here with you. So, um, yeah, your question about eco-villages is a very good one. And I know many people are wondering, especially as we're opening up the concept in the past years and bringing a lot of the inspiration and solutions from eco-villages to the mainstream. Um, and maybe just to start with, Jen really started as a network that brought together, um, as he said, um, mostly intentional eco-villages. Um, and in the past years, we've been working more and more with traditional communities and villages that are transitioning to eco-villages or being recognized as eco-villages. And we also work with urban eco-villages. So we have the three kinds of eco-villages intentional, traditional, and urban eco-villages. And we've, um, in that process, we found that the main distinguishing factor that decides whether a village is an eco-village or not is that the people of the village come together to design their own pathway into the future consciously. That's the main defining factor. We also say that uh, an eco-village is a process. It's not an outcome. It's a process of conscious design. And at the core of, of the design is the aim for regeneration, healing, sustainability. So um, looking very carefully, how can we bring regeneration and healing to the systems that we live within? the environments around us, how can we regenerate our social and natural environments? So an eco-village is an intentional or traditional community that designs its own pathway um, with the goal of regenerating their social and natural environments. Um, 
stepping back a moment, uh, so you, you're the head of GEN, the Global Eco Village Network, and um, well, Local Futures Director Helen Norbert Hodge was part of the group that worked on establishing that back in the 1990s, and uh, that was later founded by Ross and Hilda Jackson in 91, I think. So can you say a little bit about where uh, Jen is heading? Yeah, maybe I'll just come back to your short um, description of the history, you know. So Jen was founded in 1995, officially. And actually, since the beginning, we've always had traditional villages as part of our networks. For instance, the Sarvadaya movement, which is a network of around 14,000 um, Buddhist villages in Sri Lanka, was a core part of Jen as it started up. So we've always had that traditional village aspect within the networks. But as you say, the intentional communities were much stronger, more visible in the network. And I think it's only been in the past decade that that shifted slowly. Um, and we also see that people all over the planet have this dream of not destroying the world around them with the way that they're living. And we do find that it's much easier in a way to transition your lifestyles um, to a low carbon, um, low impact lifestyle in a community, not to do it yourself. So we see that these um, communities that are doing very special work in showing how we could live lightly on the planet have come up around the world out of their own accord and then Jen has really brought them together shared best practice and inspiration and also made them visible to the to the world the eco village movement has taken root in some very surprising places for example in senegal can you tell us a bit about what is happening here so we, we went through a very interesting process in Senegal where um, Jen started working in around 2000, 2001. Marianne Zeitlin was a professor from the US who also brought the eco-village idea very strongly to Senegal, met with many people there. Um, it's very close to, to a lot of the traditional concepts, even in the enlightened form of Islam that is being practiced in Senegal the aspects of, of protection of environments is very strong in the traditional cultures, the aspect that the baobab is the sacred tree of the village and that if you cut down a baobab tree, you bring um, great misfortune over a community. These kind of traditions are very alive in the country. So um, Jen started working, Jen Senegal started working with a network of around 40 villages, up to 45 villages, with um, educational systems, facilitation of processes, really facilitation of this design process where the villages brought in new solutions like drip by drip irrigation, reforestation programs, um, solar cookers, quite simple technologies really that made a huge difference in the lives of people. And the government became aware that something was happening in these villages that they weren't able to implement even with, a, with development aid in other communities because it was self-organized, it was self-inspired and self-designed so it had much more sustainability. So these villages 
were becoming quite successful. And instead of emptying out, like most villages in Senegal, and um, moving, especially the younger generation, into the shanty towns and slums around the car, these villages were thriving and people were moving back. So the government became aware of this and um, set up a program the Ecovillage program of Senegal to transition 14,000 traditional villages to Ecovillages. And this has been, um, they started implementing it, I believe, in 2009, 2010. So it's been going now for around six years. Around 500 villages have been transitioned so far. Very inspiring scenes. Um, you know, you drive through half desert, quite dry areas for hours. And then you come to a village, which is totally self-sufficient um, in as far as solar energy is concerned, biogas own production, biogas cooker for a school. You see solar-driven computers in the schoolroom, internet access, reforestation program, organic food production. So it, it's, it's very inspiring to see what is possible when this holistic concept is applied. And we have, but it's also um, quite interesting to see what happens when a, when a bottom-up concept is taken and transformed into a top-down concept. And how do you retain the preciousness of um, really keeping the decision-making with the people. So in Senegal, I think some very intelligent designs were implemented and there's also room for a lot of improvement. Is Senegal a unique visionary example or are there cases of governments uh, supporting and promoting eco-villages elsewhere? Jen has in the past years really um, brought the inspiration of the Senegalese program to other governments, especially around Africa, but not only. We've written a document called the Pan-African Eco-Village Development Program, describing the steps that governments can take to implement eco-village development programs as part of their implementation strategy for the Sustainable Development Goals and Climate Agreements. We're currently speaking to governments in Morocco, Burkina Faso, Ethiopia. The Zimbabwean government has signed a memorandum of understanding with Jen and our local NGO and is starting to implement a large-scale eco-village implementation program. The Tanzanian government has taken a different route, um, gaining funding from the EU, from the European Union to start implement eco-villages and I'm actually going down now in March for a conference with representatives of the European Union and Minister of Environment to speak about further implementation of programs there. You mentioned earlier on that, that the eco-village movement have become more uh, accepted in mainstream society. And uh, as you also just mentioned, there seems to be a lot of interest also from government bodies in the UN and so forth. Uh, is that because eco-villages have been shown to uh, image, emit less CO2 uh, per capita than um, the average population? Is that part of the picture? 
Yes, absolutely. We've, we have had ecological footprint studies done of eco-villages, especially in the global north, that show, for instance, here in Fintorn, that the ecological footprint of Fintorn is, lies at around 50% of the British average of a similar settlement. Um, in Germany, the eco-village I lived in before, the eco-village of Siebenlinden, um, lies at around 30 percent of the German average. The same for the Danish eco-villages. They were also measured at around 30 percent of the Danish average. One or two eco-villages in the U.S. were me measured to lie at around 20 percent of the U.S. average. So there is a definite and measurable um, impact that eco-villages have on their environment. We're actually just now um, rolling out a study, a global eco-village impact assessment survey where we bring together indicators from um, from um, the happiness measurements from the ecological footprint and from the sustainable development goals we're bringing them together in a system that feels consistent with what we're developing in eco-villages and governments are starting to say we will implement eco-village programs or eco-village you know the word is sometimes starting just on the edge of becoming a buzzword um, where of course the content doesn't necessarily come with the word so from what you are saying there is the danger that the eco-village concept gets watered down or gets used as a type of greenwash uh, certainly, we're seeing that most governments continue to support increased urbanization. Almost everywhere, the pattern is one of greater centralization and the channeling of resources to big cities at the expense of uh, rural communities and smaller towns, leading to this continuous migration towards the better funded urban areas. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I know that, that in the environmental movement, there is this approach that we should free up the countryside and allow it to go back to wilderness. What most often happens is that it is changed into an agricultural desert instead, and very large-scale agricultural produce is then brought in in order to produce enough food for the urban centers. So um, I think Jen would... would um, and many others with us, of course, would offer a very different vision for the future of humanity, which is much more focusing on small-scale, human-scale communities where we can build meaningful human relations in um, urban neighborhoods or communities, villages, centers in the countryside, um, with a lot of connectedness between us, but where each of these hubs becomes a place where we can step into direct relationship with nature, the natural systems around us. We see in many countries around the world that there is this belief system that um, humans all long to move into cities and that's what the young people want. And yes, there is some truth to that also because the whole advertisement and media really um, support that movement. However, um, I've, I've spoken and worked with several of the, uh, several people around the world who've worked in slums in cities, um, 
in some of the biggest slum projects. And after years of doing that work and just watching more and more people move into the slums, um, decided to go back to the root and see, you know, why are people actually leaving the countryside? And it's not because they're so drawn in by um, consumer goods or the wonderful um, global culture that is being offered to them in the slum environment, but it's simply because they cannot survive in the countryside. And that is because forests are being appropriated, rivers are being polluted, mining companies are moving in, and their lands are being appropriated so that um, people, villages who've been living in an area for centuries in, in a very healthy balance with their environments are driven, driven off their lands. Um, so we see that um, as soon as we start bringing in eco-village development um, inspiration, we have, for instance, the example in the Gambia, where we started working in a village down the coast uh, just two years ago. And already eight of the young people who've just moved to the city or some even abroad are starting to move back into the village because there is a whole new area of possibility and opportunity opening up in the, in the eco-village, what is now an eco-village. You and I met in November 2016 in China at the Sunshine Eco Village Forum in Hanzhou, the second of its kind. At the event, uh, 30 village leaders signed an agreement to convert their traditional villages to eco villages. Now, this stands in stark contrast to China's official policy of mass migration to megacities. Can you share a little bit about this? In Songyang province in China, where we offered an eco-village design course to government officials, where we spoke to the local governor of the Songyang state and visited some of the incredibly beautiful traditional Chinese villages. Um, yeah, where they're seeing that these villages have been forcefully emptied out and are now starting to crumble. And the government is becoming aware that they're losing something that goes far beyond what they expected, or maybe, you know, it wasn't fully thought through. But not only are they um, losing a whole part of culture, they're also losing a whole array of tradition that is geared towards sustainability, a deep knowledge of how to build sustainable relationships with environments. But it's also very um, environmental issues that are showing up. The old terraces that were built that are um, a very healthy way to um, make sure that flooding doesn't happen, but that water is retained on every level as it falls. The caretaking of the bamboo forests, which are now suddenly overgrowing again. So there's a caretaking, a human nature interrelationship that is also taking care of the beauty of the ecosystems and actually enhancing nature, natural growth in those environments that is under threat at the moment. So the government is wanting to support eco-village development, for instance, in the province of Sunyang. So it can also be different parts of government that are following different narratives at the same time. What are the possibilities of eco-villages acting 
as seedbeds for broader localization initiatives, uh, initiatives that have a positive impact beyond the borders of the eco-villages themselves. Um, can they, for example, take a leading role in building up a new economy movement where they are and help strengthen the local economy around them? We've seen many examples of that um, already happening um, wherever eco-villages exist. Um, you know, just to name a few examples, Auroville, one of the biggest intentional communities in the world, which is now um, being asked through the Sustainability Institute that was founded in one of the communities, Pichandikulam, which is one of the communities within Auroville, that has been asked by the government of Tamil Nadu to support the transformation of thousands of villages across Tamil Nadu. So that's one example. Um, another example around Finthorn here where I live, um, where we see the Finthorn Foundation, which is like the core of the community and which has indeed been existing, as you said, for over 50 years, 54 years now. But we see on the edge of it that the amount of small social enterprises that are springing up in this area have been measured to be the highest concentration of new startups in such a small area in the United Kingdom. So, you know, around Ecovillage, a lot of creativity. They give space for people um, to think afresh, to think, oh, maybe I could do something very different, you know, to step out of the, the, the school system that we find often where it's, people are very much still trained, this is what you have to do to fit into the current economy. And if you don't follow these very narrow pathways, you will um, very likely end up um, without an income. But, you know, so there's a big invitation that goes out from communities to follow the paths less traveled and to reconnect to own inner purpose and reconnect to what is it that you really want to do it with this one precious life that you have. So a big invitation to people to bring out their inner creativity. So that gives rise, just as an example around Finthorn to all these new social enterprises. We also have a project in Germany that has just started actually, is starting this year, um, funded by the Ministry of Environment in Germany, which um, brings together five big eco-villages with the, the local um, towns, communities, the municipalities that they are next to. So bringing together the five mayors next to these eco-villages to speak about I think it's a very brilliant and interesting um, project, which so the mayors will be meeting and speaking about how they can take in the inspiration from these eco-villages into their munis municipal development plans. So I think that's super interesting. So there's clearly a process of eco-villages spreading in many forms and shapes across the world. Can you say a bit about how this is happening and the role that Jen is playing? We come in and we, we work with local NGOs hand in hand to see what are, what are those most inspiring communities in a region that are already doing something special 
where the community has shown some strength in coming together and doing some something special together. For instance, in the West Bank in Palestine, um, we reached out to Farha, a village which for um, years now has had a beautiful youth festival each summer where they invite youth from all over the West Bank, but also internationally, to come and to, to build something special in the village, to repair roads, to repair um, terraces for the olive trees or do something together. So Farha has become the first eco-village now of the West Bank in Palestine. I'll just take the West Bank as an example, you know, I could also take um, any other country as an example. But And then other villagers start seeing, wow, something incredible is happening in this village where suddenly it's becoming well known as the first eco-village of Palestine. Visitors are starting to come, we're starting to put in solar panels, more people are doing composting and organic farming in their back gardens, the women's cooperative are growing more and more organic produce that they're selling. Their sales have doubled within a year and suddenly the other villages are, 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 are noticing something special is happening there and are asking, well, we want to become an eco-village as well. How does this work? So, you know, as we speak with governments, we say, well, find out or NGOs really, you know, support what are the most inspiring communities in a region already. We reach out to them. Then we, we bring in inspiration from the worldwide Ecovillage network, showing what have communities elsewhere in the world done that has been super inspiring. And it's just mind boggling for people to understand we are a village here say in Zimbabwe in Cameroon but we could connect we can see information from communities villages around the world from Sri Lanka Thailand Colombia Germany USA and all these communities are um, practicing walking their talk around building solutions for the future of their children, regenerating their environments. And these are the ways that they've done it. And this is how you could also do it, you know, and there's um, a supportive environment and a supportive network out there. That is, that just blows people's minds. And very often young people are the most enthusiastic, you know, they can't just, they just can't wait to get their teeth into it. And then we, we, we would bring in a facilitated design process. We've developed the eco-village, um, the eco-village playing cards. So where we, we work with the principles of eco-village design, the core ethics of eco-village design, which are as simple as um, work with renewable energies or um, close the cycles of waste or um, build social entrepreneurship ventures or practice transparent um, communication. So we, we play with these playing cards and villages themselves can look at where are our weaknesses, where are our strengths, you know, what are the areas that we have great resources and strengths that we can build on. And within five days, the village can decide, the community can decide, these are the areas that we would like for the coming year to give special emphasis to. These are the projects that we would like to develop. And then they decide what kind of expertise they might need to bring in um, to further develop them and which NGOs or other um, 
supporting um, companies they might need to work with to actually bring in the solutions that they want to see in their villages and what further training. So Jen has also set up a consultancy, but we definitely don't think that we bring all the knowledge, but for sure we have a, a very rich um, a very rich background in community empowerment around bringing in different technologies. So we work with different NGOs, bringing the information that the community is really wanting. Um, so everything is very much community-led, needs-led. The community is at the center of their own um, transformation. And... Um, yeah, and then there's a regular, we, we work with local universities to do regular monitoring and evaluation. So after a year seeing what went well, what could have been better, and we come up with community resilience plan one for the first phase, and then improving and developing further projects in the second year. So this is how we say EcoVillage is a process, it's not an outcome. And we see that as villages catch on, um, the neighboring villages start becoming more interesting, interested and um, the, the solutions and technology start spreading. So that's how an eco-village program can spread across a region or across a country. We're coming to an end now. Any last minute comments, Kosha? I would really invite listeners to um, really look at their own lives and think, you know, if I break down an eco-village lifestyle into my life, you know, where am I living um, the values of community? How do I reach out to my neighbors on a daily basis? Where do I take care of others around me? Where do I build community around me? You know, how do I take care of nature around me? Whether it's the plants on the windowsill in my kitchen, you know, do I know where my water comes from? How do I, how can I plug into renewable energies? How can I ensure that my waste um, is limited? Do I know where my waste goes? Um, yeah, economically, how do I earn my money? How do I share my money? How, and how much solidarity am I around my income? And how can I earn my money in a way that I marry that need of earning my living with my love for the planet? How can I find a way towards that? And culturally, how can I honor my culture and who I am in such a way that um, I step out of the pain also that we see in the world where young black women are putting chemicals on their skin to be lighter and young white women are putting chemical, chemicals on their skin to look more suntanned and you know, people everywhere are no longer feeling comfortable in their own skins. How can I make a step towards feeling comfortable in my skin and celebrate my culture, which gives me the power to celebrate others' others' cultures? And where can I welcome other cultures that are moving in in the areas around me? So there's a lot we can do on all levels to... Um, build eco-village lifestyles wherever we are. Thank you, Kosha, for sharing so many amazing stories from around the world and for the insight into the growing eco-village movement. I am feeling very inspired. And thank you, Anya. And as you say, you know, we can't do it alone. So I think it's also wonderful to see this, you know, as you said, Helen and Urberg Hodge was 
part of the founding circle of the Global Ecovillage Network, but to also see this um, friendship and collaboration grow between local futures and the Global Ecovillage Network. And we're delighted um, that also as, as different organizations, we're, we're really understanding how deeply we're connected and working towards the same goals. Thank you very much for this conversation. You've been listening to Local Bites, the podcast of local futures. Listen to or download other episodes of Local Bites or subscribe to the podcast by going to our website, localfutures.org. And thanks for listening.